When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you take back control of your mental health and life. In today's episode, I discuss a timely topic given everything going on in the world, how challenging conversations and an open mindset improves mental and brain health, and how to have these difficult conversations correctly and effectively so that you build healthy, not toxic structures in your brain. To help me unpack this tough topic is the amazing coach Yama Logan, who has spent years helping people learn how to overcome identity issues, deal with trauma, overcome toxic guilt and shame, and how to have difficult but necessary conversations. Together we discuss racism, identity, how anti-racism work is biblical, and so much more. If you enjoy my podcast, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review and subscribing to my podcast and share episodes and this podcast with friends and family because let's be honest, we all know someone who needs help with their mental health. One last thing before we begin, if you would like to receive text messages from me with mental health tips, exclusive content, insider access to sales and events and more, just text Dr. Leaf to 833-285-3747. The details will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Coach Yema, I am so thrilled and excited to interview you. You're just amazing and you have a voice and you're very open about your feelings and you express things so beautifully. And in this incredibly turbulent couple of weeks that we've gone through, turbulent history that we have with racism, mm -hmm. we've all been experiencing a lot. And, you know, you said something in one of your Instagram posts recently that a lot of white people are saying they're tired. Jeez, you've had a week and a half. You've had a lifetime. Yeah. And exactly. lifetimes and generations. Right. Yeah. And so the noise has been made and we've got to keep the noise going. We've yes. got to make sure that we keep out there. And so I'm very, very, very excited to have a super important discussion with you about the church and racism and, yes. and all kinds of issues that you and I are going to dive into in a deep day, in a deep way today. So welcome yes. and thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to say this feels like a full circle moment because 10 years ago I was going through like constant panic attacks and agoraphobia and all these things couldn't leave my home. Got a hold of your book who switched off my brain and you taught me how to kill the bad tree and build the positive tree of truth. And that's how I was able to, yes, <laughs> how I was able to change my brain and use the word, you know, Romans 12, one, like you talk about to actually renew my mind. And now I understand if I'm having a thought, if it's connected to something, I need to break that down and speak truth and it'll kill it. And so I'm just so honored to be here. I'm so thankful 
That's Absolutely. fantastic. You, yes, you changed my life, seriously. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's an amazing testimony. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. And I'm so glad. You're I still welcome. teach with my trees and I'm still yeah. doing that and still trying to help us all detox our brains and our minds and all these thoughts. Yes. So hopefully we can take that analogy that you've, that example that you've just given mm. and get the toxic tree of racism yes. out of our non-conscious, bring it up, yes. get it out and start yep. rewiring and start moving forward with healthy new reconceptualized mm-hmm. thoughts. So that's what I am hoping to be able to do and I need people like yourself and to help me to understand how to do this so thank you for you being you and thank you for sharing your testimony it's amazing absolutely absolutely so we know everyone's talking about race and that's what this is mm-hmm. a totally hot topic I right. think so often as Christians we taught to see us all as one and this is one mm-hmm. of the things that I've noticed so much on my social media over the last week and a half is a lot of very upset Christians saying but I don't see color or all yeah. lives matter or God sees us as one or we have the same yeah. color blood and everyone has problems and we're not denying that you right. know? And, and and the analogy that we've been that there's so many analogies out there and one of the ones that my one son-in-law Jay said was that it's like an emergency room situation Mm -hmm. where everyone's sitting there everyone needs attention everyone's got a problem everyone's important but the one who gets whipped in off the ambulance and the Mm -hmm. pouring with blood and there's obviously an emergency everyone will rush out and attend to them first and that's how we have to see Black Lives Matter we've got to attend to the current situation it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we're ignoring everything else can you speak to this whole concept of you know seeing as Christians we taught to see us as one and not cause division in the church and and I've been accused this week of being causing division which is just a misunderstanding I understand where it's coming from it's a misunderstanding. So Mm -hmm. how would you speak to that? Well, I think for me, the analogy that the Lord gave me is we are a body, right? And so if, for example, you're walking in your house and you stub your toe on the chair, your entire intention goes to making sure your toe is healed, everything's fine, or we just realize how important a certain part of our body is when it gets hurt. And all of our attention, and even biologically, I have a, a bachelor's in biology, all of your your cells and all of your attention goes to healing that part of your body. And so that is what the situation that we're in right now, obviously all lives matter. We get that, right? We are all made in the image of God. And the church's desire to be one is a powerful desire because we are one in Christ, but we're very able to celebrate differences. I mean, we go out into the world. God is a diverse, he's a creator, he's an artist, right? And so we go out into the world and you see different flowers. You see a rose and a lily and you're like, well, all roses matter. We don't want to talk about the lily. Absolutely not, right? We're celebrating that there's difference. So it's not something that we as humans don't know how to do because race is a social construct and we've put meaning behind what this color means, what this ethnicity means. And so it's the meaning that we've added onto your race that makes it seem like I'm different from you or I'm better than you because of what my skin color looks like, right? But as the church, right, in my Instagram video, which I was so upset about, the church has failed because we are supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And so we're not even able to show that there is beauty in difference and we can still be different in one. Of course, the world is going to have a problem with understanding what it means to I love you because you are black because you're white, because you have this unique culture. I want to celebrate that with you. And so like you talk about the changing of our mind and renewing of our mind, it's education at the base of it. Are we educating people to understand this? And in the school system in America, we're not 
taught that. When you become a new believer in Christ, you're not taught that because as a new believer, you're a babe in the world, in, in the word, right? And in, in the kingdom. And so we have to shape your understanding, your new Christian worldview. And if I'm telling you as a new believer, well, everyone's the same. We're all here to conform, right? Here's the Christian mold. We're going to put you into the Christian mold. And now you go into the world and just be same and don't see color and don't see culture, don't see different ethnicity. That's not helpful, which is why when the Europeans with their Christianity went to Africa and they saw difference, they added meaning onto that and made it less than, right? Because there is no education and there is oneness in our difference. So I would say for the church, that would be what we need to do. We have to educate the power and the beauty. And it's not difficult. It's not even, it's not a hard thing to do, but we've had so many generations of misunderstanding. And I won't even say misunderstanding, but just wrong education about difference and how powerful that is. Mm, That is so well explained. So difference is not a value judgment. So what they've, with the social construct of racism, it's meaning Mm -hmm. that's been attached, incorrect meaning that's been attached. And you also give the example in that video of in Africa, it's warm and hot and people are running around without clothes on. And then that was just, which is normal. That's how, you know, that's what happens because it's different Mm -hmm. cultures. And that was seen as a value judgment was made. It was seen as wrong because as Mm -hmm. you said, you described that they were wearing dresses up to their neck. And I don't (laughs) want to take your words out your mouth, but it made me chuckle. I chuckled when I listened to that because it's so true. It's it's like, why do you come in with your view and impose Mm -hmm. your view on someone else? Mm -hmm. Difference is is, is beautiful and within difference is one. And you know, always it's the most logical thing in the world. God is godness and godness is love and and the created every difference everything that's on this earth is created exactly. by god all every all knowledge so therefore mm-hmm. difference is part of that creation so difference needs to be acknowledged and we've got to look at each value if i'm hearing you correctly we mm-hmm. have to look at each difference mm-hmm. as and the value that has been attached to each of those and anything that's right. toxic needs to be dismantled so yes. color is one of those differences that mm-hmm. has had an incorrect social construct attached to it it's become right. a toxic thought it's big generational so it's gone yes. into the non-conscious mind and mm-hmm. it's driving and a lot of people aren't even aware because yeah. of just how we've been um, our environment with epigenetics which is called epigenetics yeah. how we've grown up with this stuff have i explained is that what you yes yes okay. absolutely okay okay so i have seen the mental impact of denying one's differences and mm-hmm. trying to fit in with the crowd and behave i've seen that with my patients when i practice i've seen that just in the work that i do in general across the globe i've seen mm-hmm. that in my own family i've seen that in myself and so and at some time, I think all of us do sometimes deny that we're different or try and fit in with a crowd, yeah. whether it's in a, at a school to be part of the whatever, right. whatever. We've all had a chance to experience that. Okay, mm-hmm. So this comes at a tremendous cost, though, because you're working against yourself. And that creates tremendous cognitive dissonance in the brain because you're working. Mm-hmm. Even your proteins vibrate mm-hmm. to, according to your uniqueness. And we see the scriptures we're uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made. So we're yes. unique. And we see from Yale, there was a study that came out of Yale in, tw- in 2018, I think it was, that spoke about there is no normal brain, which mm. is fascinating. So uniqueness is a very scientific concept and needs to be okay. celebrated. So if we don't value our uniqueness, it comes a tremendous cost to us our mental health. So now translating mm-hmm. that to your work, your work's mm-hmm. about celebrating the beauty of difference. I just love that statement. Yeah. So your work is about celebrating the beauty of difference. Mm-hmm. How can we do this? How can we accept and celebrate how God made us to be a unique reflection of God's mm-hmm. glory? I think where we have to start is with the individual, right? 
and in that relationship. We have we have the saying where people say there's no love like a mother's love. Their child could be like, I don't know, Quasimodo with the hump on their back. And, you know, that's my child. I love my child. This is the unique beauty of my child. And so we're not going to get that love for ourselves and accepting our own difference from the outside. It has to come in relationship with God. I remember when I first came out to Colorado for Bible college and the Lord would have me stand in the mirror and he would say, your eyes are beautiful. I I like looking. I love looking at your eyes. I made them like that because I think they're beautiful. Your lips are so gorgeous. I love looking at your lips. And so in that relationship with God, where he's glorifying you, one of my favorite scriptures is Ezekiel 16, 14, where he says, in my splendor, your beauty is made perfect. And so in how I have made you, right, you are the manifestation of who I am. This beautiful part of me, I wanted to be part of this world. And so I made you to reflect that. Now, if I understand that within me and the next person understands that within them, when we get together and have a conversation, we're just glorifying God by glorifying who he made us to be. And so that's us celebrating who we are and that beautiful, I think about it, my company is called Naked Diamond. And I think about it, the light of God comes in, we know the prism, right? And you shine a light through that prism, through that diamond, you see all these beautiful colors that are exhibited. And that's us. We are the different manifestations, the the beautiful colors of God. And so I need to own that. I need help owning it as a child, as a new believer, as a student in school, the way that you teach me about my history, people that look like me, the amazing things that they have done helps me now because representation is very important, helps me to see, oh, well, God made them and they're awesome. Not that I want to be like them, but how did he make me awesome? so that I can be all that I can be in the earth and be like David and fulfill my purpose in my generation, right? So what, what is it about me that is so fabulous? And the world, my mom or my dad can't really tell me that, right? They can see my strengths and how awesome I am, yay, yay, yay. But it's going to be God that's saying, the wonderfully and fearfully made part of you, the, the things that I've knit together in you, Psalm 139, this is what it is. These are the things that I've called you to, right? At my core, I'm an educator. But I learned that reading the scripture with Holy Spirit and him highlighting, this is what I've called you to do. These are why you have the gifts that you have. This is who you are. And so I'll share an encounter that I had with the Lord a couple of years ago. I went up to heaven. I'll say him. I went up to heaven with him. And he said, before he called me to the earth, he, he called me into his room, whatever the situation was. And it was like the room to get dressed to come to earth. And he had a color wheel and like the map of the world. And I got to choose like, well, I want to be this color and I want to come here as this and as this gender. And because of the purpose that he gave me in the earth, he said, okay, you're going to be a black African woman from Liberia. Go ahead and, and then go give the gift of sexuality to the world. You know, and so like just understanding the, that's why I always, I like to have people think higher because we have to start there before we start looking down on the earth, right? So what was, what was my spirit doing with God before I got here? And that's what it was. I chose, right, to be this beautiful melanin color and to come down as an African woman to serve God's purpose and be that unique representation of who he is. So we have to help people go through that process and understand that, that you have a beginning, 
right? You have a starting place that's not this earth. And even within the earth, when you talk to African-Americans, Black Americans, they think their start is slavery because that's what they were taught. And so if I'm taught that I was a slave, that means I've never belonged here. I don't own anything here. I'm not supposed to be here. And so every conversation I'm going to have with you is going to be me participating in that narrative that I don't belong here. And so I'm always going to be fighting for something, right? I don't know that my ancestors were kings and queens and and royalty back in Africa. I don't know that because I think I started here. So it's just like really helping people. It's education at the end of the day, right? Just helping people see that. I love that education Mm -hmm. about origins, education about first, the first place that we need to begin. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting when I practiced, I practiced for 25 years and I have seen it carry through. The first thing that I would have to always work on would be people's identity Mm -hmm. because someone who's been constantly diagnosed with a problem, whether it's a learning problem or emotional combination or whatever, and being told that they're difficult. In my practice, I chose to work with some of the most difficult. The people that everyone else had written off used to come to my practice Mm -hmm. because that was what I chose and believe where my calling was and so they came very broken and mm-hmm. the brokenness was identity and mm-hmm. uh, you know I had to start so I did a lot of work around researching what identity was and, and that you know things like the IQ movement limited people and you know there's a lot of racism around IQ and I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot I discovered on my pathway and then there was all the categories wow. and anyway so I just I developed a profile a way of um, helping people to understand how they uniquely think and feel and choose which has been a very huge part of what my work is I go there to say that the first underlying thing that with you talk about our origin story needs yeah. to be identity I, yeah. as a therapist and scientist neuroscientists I can back that up that that's the first place you have to start because until you actually stop feeling that you are bad or you are shame or you are different and that's bad and Mm -hmm. then you're not going to feel good about anything and it goes it translates into everything someone may get mad at you and you may snap at them and then Mm -hmm. they get snapped back at you and then you think oh you bad but it's not you that's bad it's your behavior that was bad in that moment and we all do it so that that so I love how you say we've got to get our origin story Right. And of value. And that's why it's so important. So you work a lot with this. Do uh-huh. you find, like I found in my work, have you found this to be a major issue? Yeah, no, it's the, it's the issue. And we go back to scriptures and we talk about Jesus getting Holy Spirit baptized. And the first thing that God speaks to him is identity. When he's in the garden, when he's in the wilderness and he's getting tempted, the first thing he's tempted with is identity. Are you really the son of God, right? Dropping the fact that he's a love son of God. Are you really the son of God? And so that is the only issue. Everything else is going to flow from that, right? Um, I think it's Tony Robbins that says, we, no matter what it is, whatever, whoever we believe that we are, right? Whether I am an overweight person trying to lose weight, but if in my head, I'm an overweight person trying to lose weight. I'm going to stay an overweight person trying to lose weight, continuing in the struggle. So if I'm a victim, if I'm the the Black American that's always going to be victimized and targeted, and I always have to continue to fight, 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 I'm going to continue to fight, 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 because that is my identity, whether it be collective or individual. Mm, and at this stage, it is collective and individual because it's, yes. come, it's become so established. Right. And you, it takes 63 days for your brain to merge with a thought. In other Ooh. words, for it to build into your brain as, as something yeah. that then drives your behavior. Mm-hmm. So 63 days is only nine weeks. This has been going on for how many centuries? Exactly. So you can see that those that that's those are thoughts, toxic thoughts embedded inside everyone from different angles, from the different right. perspectives. And yeah. that's something that 
definitely we ha- we can't just ignore it's going to take time to fortunately it doesn't take centuries to get rid of fortunately yes. <laughs> we can actually change this in nine weeks I know yes. that sounds crazy but we can change people's thinking in nine weeks you know right. so it just makes mm-hmm. me think we should be setting up a nine week racist <laughs> anti-racism challenge or something you where we can do get, it <laughs> seriously we should I mean it's, it's I'm real because this is science we can change it yeah. we can dig around find those thoughts and actually change that I'm going to investigate that as a, as a thing you, you can you and I can do, do something together there seriously <laughs> well, I love it but that that individual that individual just to, to hone in on that from a scientific angle as well underlying most emotional issues is identity so when you address yeah. identity first and there's always other stuff too but if someone's been traumatized it's who they, it's their value how they see themselves when people want to to die it's how they value themselves and you know so yeah. it's that we can't valuing a person's identity so vital yeah. okay so let's talk talk more about this in terms of what are some steps you can take to to change that what do you do how do you help people let's start there the first thing I have to help people do is deconstruct this these beliefs. And for my work with queer Christians, the first thing that they're concerned about is that they, they're not sure if they're going to be, if it's God's voice that they're hearing or if it's their own strong desire to just be disobedient and be rebellious, right? And so we have identity is the issue. And then within that is the relationship with God, right? Can you hear the voice of God? Do you know the nature of God that you can hear him? So when something comes into your mind and you're thinking a thought and it doesn't sound like love, but it sounds like condemnation, you sound like guilt, it sounds like shame. And because of religion, it makes you feel like, oh yeah, now you really know God. That's Holy Spirit convicting you, right? And that's not, that's not God. That's the voice of the devil. And so just even deconstructing that first little bit that says, if you're hearing a voice in your head, that's telling you that you're sinful, that you're evil, that you're demonic, and you're a child of God, you need to know how to, right? The bad tree, good tree, the bad tree is guilt, fear, and shame. And then you're like, this thought comes up. And for me, when I was healing through anxiety, I'd be like, that's a lie and speak the truth. And then in my mind, I saw the, the, that dead tree dying and the good tree coming alive, right? And so it, it's the renewing of the mind process that has to be the very first the very first step Mm, so it's capturing that thought so in the five-step process that i developed based on the science of thought is the first thing is is the awareness of it you've got to be aware you've got to capture that and then you can start working on it only when you're conscious of it Mm -hmm. we see from brain science that if it's in your non-conscious mind which is your biggest part of you which is the non-conscious is the non-physical it's the spiritual part of you it's the biggest Mm -hmm. part of you we understand that through quantum physics and science and spirituality are the same you've heard me say this before are one and the same god Mm -hmm. is a source of knowledge so whatever so what we see when something's in the non-conscious we can't do anything about it so when you say that the first thing you do with your clients is to get them to identify you know Mm -hmm. what that origin story is you're bringing it into consciousness you're making them aware we see from brain science the because that's in your, it's your spirit then builds it into your brain. Your mind yeah. builds it into your brain. So mm-hmm. it's a real structure in your brain. But we mm-hmm. see from brain science that you can't change this until you're conscious of it. So but yeah. when you tell your clients to find that you're bringing it in awareness now, it's malleable. Now you can, de- and you you said the words deconstruct it and start rebuilding it into a healthy thought. But if you right. press it, it's going to yeah. explode. And right. we see, we're seeing that. We're seeing years of suppression exploding mm-hmm. in the current protests and exactly. rightfully so. We can't mm-hmm. keep going on like that because thoughts yeah. are real and mm-hmm. this concept of racism is real and the concept of the of the, the way that it has created all the problems is real. Mm-hmm. So you can only put real down for so long before real is going to explode. Exactly. Which is why I love what's happening right now, Caroline, because 
if you think about the world that has a collective brain, so right now our collective brain is super triggered, right? And so everything's active, everything's real right now. So now is the time to hit it hard, keep it loud, and to change it. My spiritual leader always says, don't ever waste a trigger. If you are triggered about something, sit down in it and change it. Don't waste it. Don't suppress it. Don't move on because it's uncomfortable. Deal with it now. So we shouldn't be wasting the trigger. Don't waste the trigger. So we are triggered, but a lot of people are hating the discomfort that the trigger brings. And I know from brain science and the work I do, and, and you speak the same things about you have to, all of us, everyone, everyone is saying this, face yeah. the uncomfortable, deal yeah. with the uncomfortable, move through the uncomfortable because you're going mm-hmm. to find the, you're going to find the, the reason behind it. So that trigger is the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What we have to do is be comfortable to sit with the uncomfortable. Yes. And we've lived for a long time not dealing with that. And we also live, there's a lot of philosophical trends in society, if that's the correct way of phrasing it that have yeah. also led to this kind of thing where we are in the mental health world as mm-hmm. soon as you feel sadness oh there's something wrong with you they pathologize pain yeah. and, mm-hmm. and medicalize misery and then it's got to be suppressed mm-hmm. so we are training our kids have been trained and this is what something i've been yeah. fighting against for 38 years and adults have been trained that as soon as you mm-hmm. feel something oh there's something wrong with you there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with you Is there something interfering with your happiness? Maybe you just need to talk to someone. I recently discovered BetterHelp and think they're an amazing solution if you are looking for professional help with your mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid is available. Visit trybetterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's trybetterhelp.com slash Dr. Leaf. And just for my listeners, get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. So currently now we have this trigger and we need to keep it alive. We need to process it. But there's different levels of processing it. Obviously, the way Mm -hmm. I'm processing it is going to be very different to the way that you're processing it. So how do we navigate that? I think we have to allow that our discomfort, like you said, looks different and give room to have that conversation. Because I think right now in the space that I'm in on Instagram specifically, I've had white friends or people in the same sex education world reach out to me and share how when they go and talk to other black sex sex educators, that they don't want to have the burden of having to educate you you know, as a white person, they want you to go and do the work and find it out for yourself. They're tired. So my discomfort as a black person in America would be, I'm just tired of having to tell you this is happening. I'm glad you're finally waking up, but I'm uncomfortable and feel burdened and need to set up some self-care boundaries for myself because I'm not your educator. 
I am not the one that's going to carry this burden for you because you have access to YouTube. You have access to Google. You have access to books. If you really want to figure it out, and it's also my coach brain is, you know, go do the work first and let's come and talk about it because you seeking out and desiring to find the knowledge is showing me that you actually have a true desire to pursue reconciliation. But if you're just coming to me so that we can have a conversation so that you feel appeased, your discomfort goes away because now you've talked to a black person. Well, at least I showed that I'm in support. At least I asked the questions. You're, you've wasted the trigger because you suppressed it, right? You haven't actually changed your brain about it. And it's okay. I think this is kind of scary for people to, for me to say and for people to maybe hear, but it's very possible that people can go and find this information and still come back to the same conclusion that, yeah, I think there's something fundamentally wrong with you because of your race. Okay. But at least let's, we have to allow for that. And that's the, that's discomfort of us being in the human race and part of the difference, right? Like the difference doesn't mean we're all going to agree racism is wrong. That's scary to think about. That's uncomfortable to think about, but it is a real possibility. But are we able to have the conversation and say, I'm not going to overlay what my beliefs are, what my strong convictions are on you because I want to control your behavior to make me now more comfortable to live better in this world. I can't realistically do that, but I can hold space for us to have the conversation at least. And so your discomfort looks different. Mine looks different. You have to understand black people are saying right now we're tired. We're over it. Right. You just got to the fight. Thank you. You, you go out there and do the work. Let us rest for a little bit. And then also understanding this work didn't start with George Floyd. It didn't start with Ahmad. It didn't start with Breonna Taylor. It didn't start with Trayvon. It didn't start it way before all of this this has been happening. So if you really wanted to know, you would look it up. You would Google it. You would find it. There are organizations all over the U.S. that have been doing this work for decades that you can go and support. That's probably in your neighborhood. But here's another thing too, Caroline, that I have. I try to help Black people understand, especially in the Black church, is to say just as much as we get mad at white people for not taking the initiative to find information on racial injustice and how they can play a part in moving things forward. More than likely, we haven't taken the look at the LGBTQ plus struggles to help them move their lives forward to a more just society. So we all have areas of privilege. There's the white privilege. There's the black privilege. There's the straight privilege, right? We all have areas of privilege. And so if I can say, be so strong about you are a white person, you need to understand my black struggle. And then your gay friend comes and talks to you and you're like, I don't get it. Like, I don't. So, right. Is it really that serious? It's the same thing that we're getting on the other side. And then we turn around and give it to the next person. So I think highlighting our areas of willful ignorance is important that we all have it. What an incredible answer because you, the way that you've actually said the, the will, that we willfully have ignorance and all of us have got it. There isn't anyone, there's, all of us have got something that we're mm -hmm. ignorant about and we've got some sort of a racist kind of towards something yes. or if racist, maybe a bias, prejudice. maybe that's mm -hmm. prejudice. Thank you. Prejudice. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of the word for a moment. So we have to do that work of educating because we are definitely have different, I've seen the shift in, in, in my work 
is people have gone from thinking about things mm -hmm. deeply to reacting without thinking yeah. deeply. And I've yes. seen this over 30 years and it's a lot to do with our modern era and a lot to do with mm -hmm. mismanagement of technology, which is a great thing, but mismanaged. There's yeah. just a shift in people's where they're using their brain, but it's to the detriment because people are now in a place where they shoot their opinions off before they actually have the facts. And mm -hmm. I was horrified in this past week, myself and my team, at some of the comments that were on our page where we're just talking mm -hmm. about basic decency. Listen, this is a reality. This is yeah. black People have been abused for centuries. They, they, as you yeah. say, get educated. There right. are a million resources out there to help mm -hmm. you to understand this process. And we've been on our, so our page, as you've seen, giving those resources. As a family, we're constantly always yeah. reading to try and understand more and more. Get yeah. the facts before. Like someone comes to me and wants to talk to me about the brain, but they've never read anything about the brain, but they've maybe yeah. just what they've just heard in the media. Right. You know, you can't challenge me on my research unless you've actually done some facts. You know, exactly. you've done some research. It's the same sort of things. And and people will yeah. do that. I'll have people challenging. So, so what funny. you what you bring to the table is a very definite a desire for people to actually be open. Mm -hmm. And that's something else I wanted. I actually wrote down a question as I was thinking, we mentioned this just before we were talking. We yeah. need to be open-minded. And this is something I try to teach through my podcast and through my work as well, mm -hmm. is that our mind works mm -hmm. through our brain. And we designed, our brain goes into a higher level of function. Our, in, our brain health and our body health and everything about us, mind and spiritual and body mm -hmm. functions more effectively efficiently when we are open-minded. And yeah. open-minded means that I'm going to learn about knowledge. I'm going to learn about differences. And even if I don't agree, I'm going to agree to disagree in mm -hmm. love. And I'm going to operate in the, in that spirit of open-mindedness. So based on that, I wanted to ask you difficult conversations. People need to be open-minded within a difficult conversation. We're having difficult conversations at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be open-minded enhancement. So just mm -hmm. a little bit more brain science, and then I'm going to hand over to you to take the yeah. question away. I teach a lot about having an enhancement mentality or mm -hmm. enhancement mindset, which then mm -hmm. accepts everyone for their uniqueness. So you mm -hmm. first and first and foremost look at the person before you look at, you know, that's you, Yema, mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. whether you're a, the, the fact that you're a black woman or whatever, you know, so the, everything else. Yeah. First, you're you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people to have an open-mindedness to looking at the you and looking at enhancement. We've had a lot of years of competition mm -hmm. and competition brings value judgment because competition means someone's better than someone else. Yeah. But it actually is totally an antithesis to brain health. We mm -hmm. don't need competition. We do not need competition to survive. We need enhancement to survive. And quantum physics, which is the most fundamental and accurate sciences and brain science, together show that enhancement brings growth, not mm -hmm. competition. Mm -hmm. So, and enhancement is linked to being open-minded yeah. and that increases brain health and brain intelligence. Okay. So with that little framing, I want to hand over to you and ask you, how do we have open-minded conversations in love and talk about these difficult things that mm -hmm. people, and how do we stop getting defensive and justifying and, and jumping in before someone's finished speaking and trying to defend yourself and getting angry and ending, ending up hating and putting hate comments all over social media. And mm -hmm. how do we say, okay, well, I see your point of view. I think that when we're having difficult conversations with people and they're saying something that is opposite what we believe it feels like a personal attack, right? And so because in competition, somebody has to be right, somebody has to be wrong, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. And so I'm not having a conversation with you right now. We're having a tournament. And so I need to be the winner, right? And so if I'm feeling personally attacked by what you're saying, which is like a thing on social media right now, and people even say as a joke, like, 
I feel personally attacked <laughs> by like a joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a it's real, like a meme now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a meme, but it's a real thing that is happening. And I don't try to have difficult conversations where I really want someone to hear me with someone who I don't have a foundation of love and trust with. I haven't put any deposits into our relationship to show you that I care about you to show you that I love you. And so having a difficult conversation with you is really me just preaching at you. Or if I'm angry, again, it's me wanting to emotionally manipulate you with my anger so that you change your behavior so I can feel better. And that cannot work. That's so good. Emotionally mm-hmm. manipulate you so that you, that, you, that you can feel better. So emotionally yeah. manipulating the other person, that's unacceptable. Right, right. And so I'm going to be angry. I'm going to have this outburst or I'm going to show you some, I'm crying, there's tears, there's all kinds of different things. Cause now I want you to emotionally respond to me and then agree, emotionally respond and agree with me. Right. But if we're having any kind of difficult conversation, I really cannot approach that with people who are not in my intimate circle that I know on a name basis that I know where you live, maybe your children's names, your parents' names. I don't really know you to have a difficult conversation with you. And so when we start to talk about social change and social justice, it starts right where we are, which I think it's really interesting with the coronavirus, how God forced everybody to go home. I mean, he didn't do it. I don't want anybody saying, oh, God did not cause the coronavirus. I am not saying that. No, let, let, let me rephrase. Let me say something that will support what you're saying, but in the way yeah. that I know you're trying to say it. For the first mm-hmm. time in history, the whole of humanity is facing uh-huh. the same global enemy. So yes. there's the same thing, but said in a way that was an epidemiologist who said that to me. For the first time yeah. in history, the yes. whole of humanity is facing mm-hmm. the same common enemy. So our collective mindset is one of, we have yeah. a common enemy, we need to jointly come together. So it's primed right. for, it's almost like we're in a position which we brought up, we got here through, mm-hmm. uh, this is a human, the, the, the transmission is human pathway and human right. bad decisions and environment and all kinds yeah. of multiplicity <laughs> of, yes. but yeah, so we got here, but it's yeah. a wake up call for us because we make free, we've got free will. So we exactly. make, we've made choices. So we've got to this place, but it's now exploded, volcanic mode, and now we need to do something. So I think that's that's kind of undergirding what you're trying, what you're saying. Yes. So it's forced us to come home. It's forced the church to not be a building. It's forced us to start ministry in the home, and that is where any change is going to start. Jesus changed the world with twelve people, right? They didn't have social media platforms, and they didn't have. A million dollar churches and a million dollar marketing budget and all of these different, they didn't have any of those things. It happened in their immediate community where they had immediate influence. And so the difference in the difficult conversations and there have been white kids posting conversations that they're having with their parents and challenging them. And that's very powerful because it's in your home. That's where it has to start. Because if somebody who looks like me, if my white daughter is telling me something's wrong with the way I'm thinking, I'm more than likely to open my heart because I love her and I know she loves me and I know there's no pain and intentional harming of me in this conversation. My heart is going to be open because we have the foundation of love. And so I'll hear her more then I'm going to hear the angry black woman on TV that's saying, stop killing us, take your knee off our necks. It's going to be like, okay, that sounds great. When my daughter comes and says to me, dad or mom, you know, this is really painful. I have friends who are going through this and this is how it's impacting me. 
you know, can we talk about this? And then in that conversation, change is going to happen. But I think in our generation, we want immediate, quick, fast change to happen right now when it took over 400 years for even for us to even be in this place, you know? And so there's been tons of riots. There's been all, all the time, all through the ages, unrest, but slavery was in the U.S. for 240 something years. We've been without slavery for 155. So slavery was a, a reality way longer than it has not been. And even with Jim Crow and all of those things, it's still part of who we are. So it's not going to happen, unfortunately. I mean, with you, with your nine weeks, we could work on it. We, we can work, work on, on the nine-week we, <laughs> we can work on the thoughts, but that, that's going to yeah. bring up one thought and that's going to yeah. have another nine-week and another nine-week. So what we yes. do is we'll, the first nine weeks, we'll start the conversation and get people to the place where they can have the open discussions that we're talking right. about now without yes. getting defensive and then starts the unpacking. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm automatically going to be defensive if you don't know me, you don't know my story, you don't know my family, you don't know how I believe, even if they are racist or prejudiced, you don't know how I esteem that they have integrity when it comes to their business or that they love their neighbor. And so me coming with a blanket statement of you're racist and you have these issues and your family has these issues, of course, I'm going to protect my family, right? As a black person, if you're telling me, well, you're all criminals and you don't have education, all these different things, you don't know me. You don't know anything about my family. I'm not having this conversation with you, right? But if we have relationship and I know your family, I know your dad has great integrity in business and I know your mother, right, is the kindest and makes the best apple pies, You know what I mean? And then we can sit down and say, hey, relationship and say, look, you know me, I know you. This is the impact this has had on me. And then your white counterparts can say, yeah, this has had impact on me. I see it in myself because it's kind of scary to admit as a white person or European American to say, you know what? Actually, I do have microaggression. I do have areas in my life where I have been racist without feeling immediately ostracized as part of them. And now relationship is over. So that I have to feel safe. So safety comes with love, right? And so that's where it has to happen. So that's the first place it's got to start in the home. It's it got to start, to start it's home. got to start in the home. It's got to start in that relationship. So that's what I'm hearing is your is the yes. first step. That's where we start making those changes and having mm-hmm. those open discussions that will that will cause the shift. So yes. and it will stop the, the defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And even within the family there could be fiery explosions and and but because of the love you persist through so that's the overarching thing so then how do we translate and just quickly as an example i mean i grew up in south africa the apartheid south africa not my kids my kids were born into post-apartheid after my one daughter was born the year nelson mandela came into power we i was carrying this newborn baby and voting for mandela you mm-hmm. know and standing in the line there and yeah. but the, the, i worked in the apartheid and transition and post-apartheid, and I saw firsthand mm-hmm. there is the effects of racism, and and that it was devastating. My husband mm-hmm. and I both worked in these areas, and and to see that people could do that to people was a shock for me. And it was a time where I found myself looking at what did I grow up with? I grew up with yeah. that's a black toilet and that's a white toilet. That's a black yeah. beach, and that's I saw that my kids can't even can begin to relate to that, you know. And that was 
generations. That's how my mother grew up. You you had different utensils. This is how bad it was. In South mm. Africa, when I grew up, you had yeah. different utensils. I mean, embarrassed uh-huh. to say it, but you had different utensils for your maid. Mm-hmm. And I used to get so upset with my mom that I used to go and get the pretty plates that we were eating off. And I would yeah. go and swap them out and yeah. give them to her because why? Yeah. You know, as right. a child, you have so much more innocence. But there yeah. were still things that my kids have challenged me on that mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah, I'm thinking my husband and I are both thinking because both of us were working in that time against what was we saw against the social effects of racism right. and yeah. economic and, and educational effects of racism. But there were certain things that we didn't even realize, certain statements that we would make that as we said them, we didn't even know where they came from. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where our kids challenge us. So I was I'm saying that to encourage people. Yeah. It's hard. You may say, I am not racist, but these things may be coming out of your mouth from your non-conscious mind that have been there from a child mm-hmm. that you don't know. And it's courageous, it's brave, it's difficult, and it's okay to feel embarrassed and shame because that's mm-hmm. good because it will project you forward into changing that. Use right. the guilt and the shame, not as condemnation, but as a springboard to say, mm-hmm. okay, gosh, I did do this. I can't believe I felt like that. Where does it come from? Yeah. Okay, it comes from the what's wrong about that social context construct and then unpack it that way and change it and I'm just I'm just trying to reinforce what you're saying because Absolutely. I know I've had already had conversations with people where this has happened where you're yeah. starting at the home so we totally agree but this is the kind of thing that people how do you deal with it how do you don't go into denial even if yeah. you think you're the most racist free person you yeah. can still find that you need yeah. a double check just triple check just quadruple check deep down uh-huh. in your non-conscious mind do right. some soul searching By now, I'm sure you've heard of the dangers of artificial light, especially artificial blue light from our devices like phones and TVs. If you aren't familiar with what artificial blue light is and how it can negatively impact your mental and physical health, then I highly recommend you listen to my podcast, episode 114. Do you find you get those terrible headaches at night or after a long day of work at a computer? I used to get this all the time until I started using Blue Blocks Glasses, the one company I trust to make the highest quality and scientifically backed blue light blocking glasses. Blue Blocks has a variety of lens options, so you can get a pair that suits to your most pressing needs, such as the Summer Glow Lens, which is designed for daytime use for those who work under intense artificial lighting and suffer from migraines, anxiety, depression, or seasonal affective disorder. Many customers have reported that these glasses have really helped improve their mood. Get 15% off your order today when you use the code DRLEAF at checkout. Just go to blueblocks.com and use the code DRLEAF at checkout. The link and details will be in the show notes. Okay, next thing. So once you started in the home, how do we translate into then the community, you know, Judea, Samaria and all the world? How do we do that? In that order, right? So at the home, larger family relationships, maybe at the Thanksgiving dinner or because <laughs> we talk about all kinds of things. When That's family- a good one to do. Right? That's like the one Thanksgiving the most- dinner. Where is this? Where does Thanksgiving come from? I remember uh, in eighth grade, I learned about what really happened with Columbus and wrote this entire essay against I'm not celebrating Columbus Day, but having the conversation in family gatherings, right? Because there's no, I don't know any family gatherings that leave without any, some sort of conflict that's going to happen, right? So if it's going to be the conflict, let it be the conflict towards change and justice and freedom for people around us. And then very powerfully, because church has such a huge impact on the way that we act and interact with the world, at church, in your 
Bible study groups and your women's study groups and the men's studies and the breakfasts and all of those things and the Bible conferences and conferences, bringing it up. I went to a Bible college here in Colorado and this was not brought up. We didn't have these discussions because it was of the mindset of, well, it's not, we're Christians first before we're black. And so we're not having these conversations at all. So that's not a good statement to make, is it? Terrible statement to make, right? So lost opportunity there. So home, larger family, church community, because our faith is such an important part of who we are and how we see the world. If we can stop there at the church and because I'm not just a church member, maybe I have, I hold space in a leadership position in a secular company, or I'm working somewhere in the government and politics because of who I am, again, identity, because of my faith understanding when I'm sitting at tables where laws are getting passed because the people outside who are picketing don't have the relationship that I have with my coworkers and my fellow constituents and that they're going to hear me before they hear the protesters because I'm the one enforcing the voice of the protester. So the church has all of these wonderful, amazing people that go out into the world, into the community, train us here, talk to us here, which is why it's so powerful what you're doing. Let's talk about it in the church. And then I'm going to go into my community. And like you tell me all the time, right? The church tells us, go represent Christ. I'm going to go in those places and represent Christ and represent love and peace and justice and do all those things out there because God's placed me in that position to have that impact in that area. It's so simple. Make it more complicated. Once you've done it within your core relationships, that mm-hmm. are, it's easy to actually spread that out and just become, it starts with yourself, the discussions yes. at home and moving out. And then, then it can be translated as a community-wide thing. So it isn't very so difficult. Easily. You're very vocal about challenging the church. And I love it, about challenging the church and saying the church has failed in this area because it becomes so religious. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, that's sort of like that's the- That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I say it too. I say it too. Don't like none. We don't like religion, but we like love. I always say God is yeah. love. And someone at Jen Hatmaker, you know Jen Hatmaker? Mm-hmm. She said something, I think it was her, that said that if something, if if something that you believe is making someone else feel yeah. sad, broken, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. bad about their identity, mm-hmm. devalued, all that stuff, then yeah. what you believe is wrong. And I thought that was, it was, I'm just paraphrasing her, but that, that really hit home because that yeah. means that we've got to check what our belief systems are that are driving us to make certain decisions or have our opinions that we need to check. Where does that opinion come from? What's the factual mm-hmm. base? Is that right. actually a factual base? And is that mm-hmm. factual base hurting other people and making yeah. them feel devalued? Because if a person's feeling devalued, they're not mm-hmm. feeling love. God is love. That's the antithesis of what God is. So I pick that up from there. You, you explain it really well. Well, I say that the church has failed because it was religion, it was evangelism that took these ideas, colonization, to the world, brought it back here to America, and it was on the Bible that we stood to justify racism, to justify segregation, to justify all of these separations in society. So it is the church. We did, we did, and I say we. Because I'm, I can't disassociate myself as a believer from those believers back then. Like it's all, it's all of us, right? Because when I go into a community and I say I'm a Christian, 
they're not going to sit down with me and say, well, what specifically is your biblical understanding of these scriptures, right? They're going to hear that, oh, you're a Christian. So like you're a Republican. So like you're a Trump supporter. So like you hate gay people. They're not going to sit down and have, when I say I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Yeah. But they don't see that. Mm. No one's going to see that. So we are the black church, white church, Korean church, all of the churches, we are one because we're supposed to be. And so if we have a beginning, like we did in the beginning of the, the United States of hate and separation and slavery had it justified, no wonder, because when you say to people, well, this is a Christian nation, automatically people of African descent in this country are saying, where? Because we were slaves when we got here. So what Christian foundation were you standing on to enslave me? Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So no. I mean, I apartheid, that, apartheid was the same thing. It was also based absolutely. on a, the Bible was used to justify it. Right. So, and I mean, I mean, they failed. also, the Christian, the church also, sorry to interrupt you there, but just throw this in. Jesus was, was a person of color and Paul was a he black was. man. Yeah. So, you know, like. I didn't even know Paul. Was Paul a black man? Paul was a black that. man. My PhD daughter who's doing a PhD oh, wow. in theology. She, yeah, she said that, you know, that's something we need to bring into the conversation because all the Seriously? story books of it's God is white and everyone's white. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just not even the right thing. You know, it's just. Isn't that amazing? And so we have people going to churches and having the white savior situation happening. So I'm in a church and God, Jesus is white. So if he that's his father. God must be white too. And so even in my practice of my faith, I am still a second class citizen. I'm still internalizing that I'm less than, and I need someone who looks like this to save me. And so, yes, we have failed. Yeah, we have failed as a church. It was just even earlier this year, the Lord, because I never saw the movie, The Shack, and the Lord told me to go and rent it and buy whatever on YouTube and watched the movie. I didn't fully understand why, but then after I watched the movie, God told me to start to relate to her as a Black woman because it was so ingrained. My own internal prejudice against my skin color was showing up in my business and me attracting clients because it felt I started to feel subconsciously, are they going to trust me because I'm a black woman? Are they going to believe that I know what I'm talking about? I don't want to make my brand too much of a black brand because I don't want to alienate white people. And it was really impeding me from being successful in what God called me to do. And so having to even switch that, that the church has been unable to allow that God looks different that if I made in his image, it's possible that she could be a black woman. She could be an Asian man, right? Or he all could of be the Asian, above. All of she, the above. She, but having he, all the above. She, she LGBTQ, all of, all of the above. Because right. it's in God's image. It's in God's We've image. We've completely missed it, haven't we? That's, that's exactly why. Because we haven't been able, because it's been the white man's religion, which why there are a lot of black people right now stepping away from the church into all these other different types of spiritualities that highlight the divinity of blackness and the divinity of femininity and all those different things, because we don't, even as women in the church, don't see us as leaders in the Bible. We don't see us represented. We are the prostitutes and the whores and, you know, 
the pastor can say all kinds of, you know, won't say any other words, but when it comes to reading the Bible and, you know, she was a Rahab was a whore and the prostitute, they're real strong on that word. Right. And so it's just like, as a black woman and then like, Oh yeah, I'm queer too. Oh crap. Like three strikes against me trying to relate, relate to this God who is a white man, of course, if I'm praying for something and asking is going to feel very disconnected because somehow the judgment of the white male figure is judging to see if I'm worthy or not to receive that blessing. Wow. Wow. But as a black woman, yeah. I feel so burdened just the way you've described that. I feel burdened just by the way you've described that. Mm -hmm. I feel like totally oppressed by that thought. Right. And and that's what's been shoot. And you talk about, you actually say that there's toxicity in the pulpit, that toxicity is being spoken. Absolutely. It's, it's all, (laughs) it's like we, and I I don't want to say all of the churches, but I, I, I have. I mean, you started in the beginning. You mentioned that I just did that conference with T. I mean, that talk with yeah. T. D. Jakes and a group of fantastic yeah, which leaders was, to talk which about is why this. It was so healing for me to see that there are white voices that sound similar to what we're saying. But as we sign up to go to church, especially as a queer, a black queer person in the church, you sign up to go hear how wrong you are, and I love you but I don't love the sin, which my, my sin feels like my identity. So you're telling me that you don't love me, but I'm supposed to accept that. And then there's this, this toxic love that I'm, it's all, it's abusive. It's conditional. It's extremely abusive. Right. And so it's like your abusive partner that beats you upside the head and brings you a gift later to say, you know, I'm, I actually do love you. I didn't mean to beat you over the head with this. So that's what the church is doing. That's what the church has done and continues to do when we're propagating all of these ideas that sound nothing like love and acceptance. I don't know if you heard of the study that was done in the U.S. and people were asked, what do you associate with Christianity when you hear hear Christianity? And it was hate. They associate Christianity with I hate. did hear that. I did hear that about that study. I haven't right. read it personally, but I have heard about it and I will make yes. a point of reading it. Yeah. There's actually another study that was a study on HIV AIDS and mm-hmm. it was done in Miami by a doctor. And the, the people that had a vision of God being a benevolent and loving and accepting God mm-hmm. were the ones that healed so much mm-hmm. quicker. The immune factors and so on were so wow. much stronger than those that believed God was this white God to punish the marginalized, to look yeah. down on all the things that we've been saying, color, mm-hmm. race sexuality they really battled with their healing and some yeah. you know, died they died quicker so that's just yeah so that's the toxicity that's coming that's, out of the yeah, of the church and because of again going back to the beginnings and the ev- evangelical activities to take the word out and go into all the world we have wrong translations of the bible and the actual words and understandings of things and so we've been teaching their pastors and church leaders who strongly are convicted to these things. And they do believe that they're helping, you know, God bless their souls that they're doing the best that they can. Supposedly, I have a hard time believing that as a young lady in her thirties, that I'm able to search the Bible and find the truth, but that they have this understanding and they're teaching it because they think that they're helping people and they're not. And it's because the Bible that you're reading was translated in a way that is 
harmful that you don't even really know what no, these it's not even exactly my daughter who's a my eldest daughter is doing a PhD in theology and she get her in a conversation like this and these fireworks because it's not even what the things that the seven clubber scriptures for example and all those things for sexuality yeah. it's not it's not even what Jesus said it's not even what the no. original no. It, it was yeah so it's just so wrong to and there's a worship yeah. of words as opposed mm-hmm. to a worship of the love exactly. of God yeah one of my friends, I was having a conversation with him the other day, he called it Bible at idolatry, like making the Bible into an idol and putting it above the nature of God. And so we are so, we're so loyal to the scripture and not loyal to the nature of God. And the Lord told me, I think it was a couple of years ago, because I'm like, God, why do we... I mean, I know I'm called to help queer Christians know that, love them. Why are we even having this conversation though? And the Lord said is because the church has been teaching salvation and not the kingdom and salvation is a door to enter. And so you have to qualify. And so once you start qualifying people, there is again the tree of Who's the knowledge. Who's the qualifier? Yeah, yes, yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, that was my oopsie. My next question was: <laughs> so let's do it. Go for it. Galatians three twenty eight, the tree of yeah. good and evil. You have a mm-hmm. phenomenal way of explaining this. Yeah. So, those of you that are listening now, viewers, I'm challenged. You're going to be challenged now in the next part of this conversation. That Yam and I are going to have. You are going to be challenged, and we just pray. That's why I had that conversation right at the beginning about Amen. being open to mm-hmm. what you are hearing, about getting right. the facts before you react. But realizing that this is talking about the love of God. Mm -hmm. And so just open your minds to hear what you're about to hear. Yes. Thanks, Caroline. So, and viewers, as you're listening, we love you. We care about you. Okay. So this is a safe space. You're able to agree or disagree. So for me, when God showed me why we're having these conversations that are stuck down here in this 3D realm with things that I can only touch, feel, and see that my five senses can engage It's because I'm being taught from the pulpit how to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when they, Adam and Eve, ate of that tree, they were able to see, their eyes were opened, right, to the 3D world. And they could see that they were naked. So now I can see that you're different from me. I can see how you are separate from who I am. Right. And so that's what we've been taught in the church, what we're continually to teach that in a church. So I'm thinking the knowledge of good and evil. Now I'm given the power to judge. So I'm going to be judging between you and me. I'm going to be judging whether you're good or evil in comparison to who I am. And that builds a foundation for me to be able to hate you, to be racist against you, to be prejudiced against you. Again, white colonizers in Africa, you're naked and bare. This is not what pure sexuality looks like. You must be promiscuous. You must be uncontrollably sexual, right? Because this is how you are. And so I'm going to demonize your sexuality because it looks different than what mine is. Because again, I'm eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? When the when they came to the U.S. and saw the Native Americans, they had them, you know, shame their sexuality. Everything became closed and hidden when before in these societies before people were free and open and, mm, and they love nature they saw they god in everything nature. yes and god was in everything was powerful, powerful and, yeah and amazing and divine and and just so beautiful but then 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the same thing that caused Adam and Eve to hide, they brought that understanding in and caused other people now to hide their sexuality and to speak about sex only behind closed doors or to make it be that you're black and so you're from Africa. So you must be like someone who's from, I don't can't tell you, Carolyn, how many times I came to, and in a school, people were asking me, so did you have like jungles? Were you like swinging from the trees? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little Listen, education. I, I'm a white <laughs> woman. Here. I'm yeah. a white woman. My kids mm-hmm. came to this country. They were nine and 10 white kids in mm-hmm. a school with white kids. And there should not have been so many white kids, but they, it was a <laughs> Christian school. And they were asked as well, do you have lions in the garden? Do you live in the jungle? That's mm-hmm. the level of it. Of, I mean, it was insane. Yeah, terrible, right? And so as a church, it's the same. So we have no understanding of the power of beauty like we talked about and the differences because we are eating of the fruit. And sure enough, when God said, when you eat of it, it's going to kill you, it wasn't an immediately physical death. When you embody hate, you can probably speak on this from a scientific standpoint, those toxic, that toxic cocktail that will... Causes brain damage. Causes causes brain brain damage. damage. Damages your immune system, lowers your immune system function, damages even your cell health. Biologically, you will get older than your chronological age. I can tell you a million things of what it does. So it's in a nutshell killing you. Oh, yeah. It's slowly killing you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. hate kills you. So that's the knowledge. That's the proof of the knowledge. James 1, 13 through 15 as well talks about when sin, we give birth to sin, sin grows up and brings forth death. Yes. So it is, and then we see that in science, if you don't deal with hatred, it's a toxic thought, erasism, hatred, wow. all these things that are going against the marginalized, going against anything that is actually hurting someone mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. that is sin that will bring forth death because it's toxic. You're wired for love. Our body can't wow. handle it. We so are wired this, for love. We're wired yeah. for love. This racist thing that's in that we see in, in society is mm-hmm. an example of toxicity. So it's damaging and this is what I said. I've said yeah. a lot this week and I'll say it a lot more and I said mm-hmm. it in the T.D. Jakes videos in that, that that discussion as well toxic racism is causing brain damage and bodily mm-hmm. ill health and decreasing yeah. our immune system response you don't need an immune system response dropped when yeah. you've got COVID creeping around out there plus everything exactly. else and exactly. that's just an aside so sorry carry on yeah and it's interesting too when you said that on T.D.'s conference with you all and you said it caused damage for the victim and the perpetrator something inside of me was like I'm not brain damaged right and I was like I don't want to but then as I thought about it I'm like oh my goodness because I have internalized You've got some pain. Of this as well. yeah the pain is part of that and so we are just here though we're just here in the earth we're spiritual beings And so when we're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're just being natural humans, which being human is awesome, but we're not supposed to live from human upwards. We're supposed to do it the other way around. So when we eat, because there was another option in the garden for the tree of life, which is Jesus, which is God, who is love. And so we were wired, like you just said, for love. And so if I'm eating from the tree of life, from Jesus, from love, I'm not going to be in a space of judgment of whether you're good or evil or whether you are less than or I'm better than because of our social constructs or your gender is worse than mine. You need to be under me. I need to control you or your sexuality makes you demonic. You're going to hell. I'm not having any of those thoughts because I often ask myself and ask the Lord, Well, if the tree of life was there and there was the knowledge of good and evil, that means you never wanted us 
to have a knowledge of good and evil because the church hears it and says, he never wanted us to know evil. No, he never needed us to know the knowledge of good and evil, right? It's the judgment, it's the comparison, it's the competition. It has to be the wholeness of love that we operate from. And then I'm in love, which sets me up higher in the spirit. And when I look at you, I'm looking at you as someone made in the image of God. And then I'm celebrating what I see in the natural because that's an expression of who God is. And it's just really that simple. Mm, oh, that is, it's brilliant. And yeah. it's so scientific. And science is spirituality, I've said a few times. Yeah. So therefore, we seeing the why. We have no wiring in us for tox, for, for no. racism. No wiring yeah. in us to judge others. So when we do it, that's what I meant by when we're yeah. judging others. And it goes both ways because you've all got these biases. But yeah. when you put that toxicity on someone else and they're in pain, that mm-hmm. pain that you receive is still a toxic issue. So what I was meaning by the perpetrator also suffering is that you've yeah. had to live with racism. And that is an experience that has that is absolutely normal it's like someone mm-hmm. who's traumatized it's a victim you're a victim but, it, but you still have that experience of the victimization in your head and this mm-hmm. is where forgiveness comes in because then you can heal you can seal and you yeah. can heal you seal it off and you can disconnect from the perpetrator and that's why it's so important as part of this discussion and mm-hmm. that can maybe be another discussion is why we need to forgive and you know bringing in the science of forgiveness and all that kind of stuff because you want these things you don't want these in you if you are the one who's had the toxism the, tox- mm-hmm. the toxic racism against you this is inside of you but this is also causing damage and blocking your thinking and blocking your so energy real. in your brain. So we have to we have to get rid of this. We have to reconceptualize. Doesn't mean we have yeah. to ignore this. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. But what we have to do is protect ourselves from the damage it causes so that we can make sure it doesn't happen anymore. That's but if awesome. we live in this and bitterness, we don't have clear thinking and then we're going to make wrong decisions yeah. in trying to fix we do it in the wrong way instead of the right, right. way. Yeah. You know, so that's another whole discussion. But yeah. I want to take your your next and I want us to sort of move a little bit into sexuality mm-hmm. and you use Galatians three verse twenty eight as mm-hmm. a very good way of this, you and I can talk forever and ever and ever yeah. I can just see that and, and there's so many things that we need to hit on and come back yeah. and take deeper let's make this sort of a, like the last thing that we talk about sure. for today unless there's something that you feel is very important for people to hear now yeah. and we'll do that at the end but let's mm-hmm. transition from Galatians 3.28 because this is a very important part of what you do and how mm-hmm. you explain this whole concept of love and sexuality yeah so for Galatians 3.28 was when we have love and we're seeing through the eyes of love, we don't see the male and the female first. We're not saying that we don't see it at all. That's just not the priority, right? Paul says, from this point on, I know no man after the flesh. And so I see you first in the eyes of love. When someone's in love, love is blind, right? I'm not seeing your faults. If I do see them, I think they're fixable. They're fine. As a matter of fact, your faults make you beautiful, right? Yeah, there you you're go. First it's, in love. it's all part of the key. Exactly. <laughs> right. You're like, everything's great, you know, because it's love, right? It's so full of acceptance. And so I'm not seeing you as different from me first. I'm seeing you as one with me made in the image of God. And then I'm seeing your difference and I'm celebrating it. And when it comes to sexuality, my definition, and I believe that is Holy Spirit inspired of sexuality, is the desire to know and to be known. And it's the, it's the other side of the coin of spirituality because spirituality is our desire to know and be known by God. And so spirituality is this way. And then our sexuality is this way. And it's relationship. So there's the family relationship is really part of our sexuality, your friendship, and then your romantic relationship, right? And so it's my desire to know and be known. But when we think about sexuality, oftentimes we think genitals and how they fit together and all those different things. And our minds get really 
messed up trying to figure it all out. When we talk about heterosexuality, we're thinking, oh, they want to get married and be in a beautiful relationship. And then we think about someone who's non-heterosexual and we're thinking, well, what goes on into your, in your bedroom, right? Automatically to that very, the act of sex and the act of pleasure. But sexuality is simply my desire to know and to be known. And I have to help, and I do help my clients see that because they also have that same damage of the victim being that toxic teaching from religion, that they have some internal homophobia. I did as well, right? And that has to be lifted up. And it's by simply taking out the sting of what sexuality has been made to be in the church. And so it's just, I want to be known and I want to know others. And so that's just it. Now, how it expresses myself in romantic relationships, maybe with someone who's non-binary, someone who's a female, someone who's a male, someone who's trans, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, again, I'm seeing up here, right? So I'm not seeing first that you're male or female. I'm seeing you in the spirit and your soul is beautiful. And I I want to spend my life with you. And then I celebrate whatever it is, whatever vehicle you are moving in this world with. And I love that. And that's beautiful. And I was sharing this with someone the other day, just even the idea of talking about pleasure in the church is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So I start first with sexuality and taking this thing out. And then as I go deeper into the conversations with my clients, just helping them reframe pleasure and seeing God as a pleasure seeker. Because there is always, we have to connect because we are in his image, right? And so demonizing our pleasure and demonizing our desire for pleasure and for even bodily pleasure, right? Because eating a great piece of chocolate cake or a nice crab leg is extremely pleasurable, right? But there's pleasure is in so many different forms. And so my sexuality and my expressing of that in a romantic relationship takes on many different forms. And so it's taking this religion demonizing tree of the knowledge, a good and evil view of your sexuality and getting it over to the tree of life, eating of that, and now then setting back in your body and experiencing that in the world, which is so liberating and so freeing and so powerful. It's just wow. awesome. Mm-hmm. I have never heard it expressed so well. That Thank is you. absolutely outstandingly fabulous. Like you said in the beginning, I love the word fabulous. For me, that's one yeah. of those words. <laughs> but it's, it is. It's, 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 yeah. it's fabulous because it's beautiful because it's happy and it's so affirming mm-hmm. of God's love because mm-hmm. Godness is loveness. And that's the term I've tended to start using because I, I think it. we try and put God in a box and make God down to our level. Meanwhile, we see yeah. from just the study of science, I always tell my kids that I find God in science more than I find God in church or anywhere else yeah. you know in Thank science and, and obviously my my husband and my four children you know that that yeah. love of family you, you yeah. see that but that bigness of god is what mm-hmm. you've just described you've yeah. described a concept that is beyond our ability to understand and we see quantum physics coming along and explaining things like you get gravitational mm-hmm. fields and and you know that the gravitational fields have done the study showing that oh, they are goodness. filled with the values of love listen to this wow. blow your mind so we live in gravitational fields that have mathematical and mathematically been calculated to show that they have mm-hmm. the value of love and at our core, yes, wow. we can see physical. We break Ooh. down into our different parts of our body and then the cells, mm-hmm. eventually down to waves. So at our most fundamental level, we are waves of love, living yes. in love, living in the values of love. So mm-hmm. when we look at each other in that fundamental, the most fundamental level, which is the yeah. spiritual love 
tree of life, which is what Galatians 3.28 is really talking about, we Mm -hmm. see a different way of looking at humanity. We see it, we stop looking at all the little details that are dividing and we start Mm -hmm. seeing the bigger picture. Oh my goodness. I feel like this is just the beginning of of a series of incredible conversations. I love it. Please, will you come back again and let's take this further. I will absolutely been amazing. I've had a great time. So, have I do you have any closing comments, statements, advice that you'd like to just or pearl of wisdom that you'd like just to end off with? I think for the queer Christians that are going to be watching this, I think this is one of your questions that are struggling with their sexuality, is because that is the work that I do. I want them to know that the first step in moving forward in their relationship with God is just accept who they are as that being just a core part of themselves that they cannot change, not judging it, whether it's good or evil, just accepting that this is an innate part of me, just like how I can't change my age or my race or my physical ability. It is a part of me that is unchangeable and on purpose by God. And if you would, the Lord told me that it was actually being queer was my superpower. And so just to encourage, you know, the queer person that's watching this right now, you're not alone. And we're in this together. I'm here to support you. You can find me on my website and on social media, Kojima, but we're here and I'm here to help you. God's called me just for you to help oh, you. So that's, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And everything else that yes. you've said as well today, for those of you out there on racism as well, Yem has given yes. the most incredible advice. So go back and re-listen to this whole thing. Get yourself educated. Be absolutely. open to discussion. And there's, so there's been two very strong messages in this in this discussion today. Yema, mm-hmm. where can people, Coach Yema, where can people find out more about you? And we'll put the we'll put the link yeah. in the show notes. Okay, awesome. So it's yema.com. So it's Y-E-A-M-A-H.com. And then on Instagram, I'm very active on there. So it's at Coach Yema. I'm at Coach Yema everywhere. So you just, my name's unique enough. If you type it in Google, I'll pop up. <laughs> That's amazing. We'll put the link in the show notes. And thank you yes. so much for sharing thank your wisdom. You. And thank you for this conversation. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual 
medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.